It's time for Midday here on the Siberian at Cold, the type of Monday, the 15th day of February. Tyler Cavalli along with you. We'll get the full look of the upcoming forecast. Warmer temperatures actually may be on the way as soon as uh, next week. And Paul Perkins will tell us more about that. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen back from his road trip down in Oklahoma. We'll hear about the busy weekend in sports here in just a little bit. Bob Rogan will talk about uh, how things are going here on President's Day. And uh, let's turn things over, though, to Susan Littlefield and uh, see how things are going in your neck of the woods. Well, thanks so much, Tyler. Yeah, we're not thawing out here by any means. Actually, I'm hoping we do because I have frozen pipes once again. So stay warm, especially if you're out there taking care of livestock because frostbite can happen so, so quickly. So here's what's happening on the midday from the farm team. We'll kick it all off with Alex at 1219 as the Nebraska Beef Council talks about a recent consumer survey. Then Shabella talks with folks about their sheep breeding operation and how it's working for them. They're using cedars, which is a unique way to bring those ewes into heat. More on that from Shabella at 1245. And then Clay wraps up everything at 117 with Paul Moosman. He's with Ag West Commodities as he walks us through what to expect in a webinar concerning demand with China. That's a midday from the farm team. I right, thank you very much, Susan. Appreciate that. Jason Jorgensen is in for sports and uh, Husker women lost. Husker men won. UNK basketball uh, fared decently as well on the road this past weekend. And they split. Uh, who would have guessed the men would have won yesterday at Penn State? You know, when they went up 11 with about eight minutes left, mm-hmm. I was watching the game and I sat there and I thought to myself, okay. How, how are they going to lose at this time? There'll probably be a four-point play in there somewhere for Penn State, which there was. And they actually ended up losing the lead. But good old good old Teddy gets the bucket for the Huskers in a big defensive stop. And they win a conference game for the first time in more than a year. It was nice to see them win. Now, I'm going to admit, I was watching uh, golf because Nate Lashley, who was born in Scotts Bluff, was competing well. He had the lead until he choked and had a, a triple bogey on the uh, 17th hole, 16th <laughs> hole. With the lead, by the way, and obviously he couldn't overcome it. But then I turned back and forth and saw the Husker men were playing well. I'm like, what is this? Something we haven't seen in over a year. I figured they'd show up and be dead on arrival mm-hmm. with what happened to them on Friday night at home with the near miss against a sixth-ranked uh, Illinois. So give them credit. That's not easy to do. Jump on a plane, go halfway across the uh, right. country and win a game. They have to turn around and play again tomorrow night against Maryland. We'll see how much is left in the tank. It's a brutal schedule. Coach Hoiberg was talking about it. He wasn't making excuses, but listen, this is the time of year that we are in with COVID. He's not, they're not the only team that have to go through this. They're not, so at least they have found a way to win. Husker Volleyball still undefeated. Big matches coming up this week against Minnesota, who's once again one of the top teams in the country. And the UNK Volleyball team lost on Saturday. Metro State. Is that a was that a shocking loss? Oh, not so much. Okay, that was the sixth match for Metro, oh, second wow. for the Lopers. By the way, that was the same place they played the national championship yep. right mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, very good. Let's turn things over to uh, Bob Rogan. Uh, markets are closed today, but uh, what do you have for us? Just a quick trivia question: Which president turned to jelly beans when he quit smoking? Franklin D. Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan, George Bush, George W. Bush, or George H. W. Bush? Let me see Reagan. Really? That's what you came with? <laughs> you are correct. That one was too easy, but I wanted you to be able to get it. 
That was good stuff. All right. Very good. Well, uh, thanks, Bob Bro. A lot has changed in the 70 years KRVN has been on the air, but one thing hasn't, the dedication to our listeners. KRVN has been busting through Blizzard since our first day on the air in 1951, and this year is no different. This year, KRVN, The River, and Cami are giving you the opportunity to win a Blizzard-busting Polaris 450 EPS. This ATV is brand new with front and back racks, and we're adding a go light with remote control. It's a complete package for bad weather and good. Blizzard Buster is sponsored in part by Hayden Outdoors, Farm Ranch, and Recreational Real Estate, Pony Express Chevrolet Buick, Gothenburg, Pony Express Ford, Minden, Heartland Chevrolet Buick, Lexington, and Platte Valley Auto, Lexington, and Kearney. From busting through snowdrifts during calving to riding the river in the fall looking for that perfect buck, the Polaris is a workhorse that is also loaded for fun. Register at Husker Irrigation, Holdridge and Kearney, North Platte Feed Center, North Platte and Minden, Exchange Bank and Trust, Minden. See more registration locations at krvn.com. It's time for Regional Ag Weather Update here on this Monday. Paul Perkins joining me in the studio yet again. And, well, Paul, we're seeing temperatures that uh, not too common around uh, our area here in Can- or Nebraska, Kansas, and Northeast Colorado. Definitely one for the ages today. Uh, this morning, state low in Nebraska got down to 35 below. Now, the nation's low was 40 below towards Minnesota and Wisconsin, so we weren't too far below or too far from the nation's low. But yeah, once again, 35 below the state low in Broken Bow. Many of us seen temperatures dip into the low to mid 30s below zero, especially from about North Pla- uh, Ogallala, North Platte, and Lexington on into north central Nebraska. And that resulted in some wind chills of 50 to 55 below in some locations. Uh, wind chill of 55 below was the coldest we had seen in the Elm Creek area just to the south of town mm-hmm. out of report. Not very good there. Unfortunately, those are going to continue. We'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, you posted on your Facebook page that there will be some warmer temperatures starting next week. Yeah, good news on the way if you're wanting a break from the cold. Getting close to near normal by the first part of next week. And right now, the 8 to 14 outlook indicating above normal temperatures to close out the month. So That'll be nice. Yeah, we'll have that here in the extended outlook. But yeah, things are looking up. Just got to hold on for one more day. So is tomorrow kind of our last day that we're going to see these kind of temperatures? I know it's still going to be cold the rest of the week, but I mean, these abnormally cold temperatures? Pretty much. uh, Tomorrow, yeah, we're going to start to get above zero for daytime highs. Still a very chilly night for tonight, and especially when we throw in some winds that are going to start to increase. And we're going to see overnight lows pretty close to what we saw last night into the 20s below zero. So dangerously cold wind chills once again to start up the day tomorrow. And thus, we do have some wind chill warnings in effect all the way until noon tomorrow. Otherwise, temperatures today mostly going to be around zero or below zero Uh pretty much yeah everybody's staying below zero for today just getting above zero on into the nebraska panhandle actual air temperatures right now and for the most part across the area in the teens below zero uh including right at about uh, 14 below in the grand Allen area and also a broken bow and just uh, below zero as you head towards the north plant with eight below on the actual air temperature but those winds still brutal right now, or not too much of a wind, but still giving us some wind chills right now in the 20s below zero. Our coldest wind chill currently in the O'Neill and Hastings area with wind chills currently down to 29 below. Now, this morning's cold temperatures set numerous records and the coldest we have seen since 1989 for many locations. Of this morning's temperatures, the coldest ever in the month of February. 
Now, this 10-day stretch that we're going through right now from February 7th through tomorrow, right now projected to be the overall coldest 10 days since late December of 1983. Even with the sunshine today, bitterly cold air will keep our temperatures 45 degrees colder than normal and at record cold levels for daytime highs. Lows tonight down into the teens to low 20s, below zero. On the backside of high pressure, increasing south winds at 10 to 15 will once again lead to wind chills in the 30s below zero. The southeast winds will warm our temperatures to above zero for tomorrow. Those temperatures still about 40 degrees below normal. In response to a trough of low pressure, clouds do move in for tomorrow, and there could be a few flurries by tomorrow night with that system, but nothing too much in the way of precipitation. Wednesday through the weekend, mostly dry with a warming trend. Due to the snowpack, there's still some uncertainty as to how fast that warming trend will be. By Friday, the daytime highs track, expected to track, reach into the 30s, but it will still be nearly 10 degrees below seasonal as we head towards Friday and the weekend. There is some really good news, as Tyler mentioned, in the long-term forecast. Seasonal or near-normal temperatures predicted by early next week for Nebraska and Kansas. The outlook turns milder than normal the middle of next week through the last day of the month. Mostly dry weather predicted with below normal precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through February 28th. Nationally, over 150 million Americans currently under winter storm warnings, ice storm warnings, winter storm watches, or winter weather advisories as impactful winter weather continues from coast to coast. The onslaught of wintry weather due to the combination of strong Arctic high pressure supplying some sub-freezing temperatures and an active storm track from coast to coast. Bitter cold will limit the amount of melting and treacherous travel likely to persist. Heavy snow and freezing rain forecast from the Mississippi and Ohio Valleys to the northeast. 6 to 12 inches of snow forecast from the Ohio Valley and eastern Great Lakes to northern New England. South of the heavy snow, freezing rain expected to leave over a tenth of an inch of ice from far east Texas to southern New England. Significant ice amounts of a quarter to a half inch expected in parts of the lower Mississippi and the Mid-South, leading to some dangerous travel, numerous power outages, and extensive tree damage. Arctic high pressure across the central U.S forecast to slowly warm up as the week progresses but still maintain a firm and icy grip to open the week very cold temperatures expected to continue between the rockies and appalachians through tomorrow temperature is likely to be about 25 to 45 degrees below normal for much of the central and southern plains through tomorrow some february and even all-time low temperatures in jeopardy now if you're looking for some warmth tyler Florida remains the warm spot. Highs above normal, generally in the 80s, and a few daily record high temperatures may even be challenged in the Love. Sunshine State this afternoon. It'd be nice if they would share some of that over here. <laughs> share Goodness the wealth gracious. and some gifts there, yeah. That is right. Now, how about snow in our area? I mean, are we done for at least a, a week or two if, if we're talking about above abel, or average temperatures? Um, uh, yeah, below normal precipitation expected as we head towards the rest of the week on into the me- end of the month here and mainly dry weather as we go through the rest of the weeks this week. A few flurries are possible as we head towards tomorrow with that system moving in tomorrow night. But if any precipitation does fall, it looks like it's going to be uh, towards southeast Nebraska and eastern Kansas. Okay, very good. I can tell you what, my dog has no more room to run. <laughs> he, it's getting so deep, he's disappearing. And now he's a little corgi, so obviously that doesn't take much. But goodness, that we're running out of room for all this snow. Yeah, right, he, Paul? He, he probably looks like Bugs Bunny when he was always uh, <laughs> yeah, tracking right. and, uh, and burrowing underneath the dirt. That's right. <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. He's a psycho, I guess, but. Uh, whatever. All right, uh, for more weather, where can you find that at? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you very much. 
The Nebraska Beef Council has just wrapped up its Nebraska Consumer Survey. And today we're going to learn more with Adam Wagner. He's the Director of Marketing with the Nebraska Beef Council. Adam, tell us a little bit more about this survey and why it's something you guys choose to do. Well, thanks, Alex. And as you know, you know, the beef checkoff is always evaluating the consumer. And we're looking for ways to find out more about the beef purchasing trends, why consumers are choosing beef, how much beef they consume, and so on. And then on a national level, that research is ongoing, and we continually track the consumer behavior and then make adjustments to our marketing and messaging. We conduct a very similar study here in Nebraska every couple of years just to get a general pulse for the Nebraska consumer. And that insight really helps us determine uh, the direction for our advertising efforts and then identifies what topics are important to our local consumers. And then it also allows us to compare Nebraska consumer responses to those on the national level. And we just completed our latest round of the state dashboard survey here in Nebraska back in November. And on that survey, we asked questions like, how often do you eat beef? Do you plan to eat more the same or less beef in the future? How knowledgeable are you of beef production? What are the top factors you consider when deciding on a meal? And what would encourage you to prepare more beef meals in the future? So by understanding the answers to those questions, we can get a sense for any barriers that might be there preventing consumers from buying beef. And then we can also determine if there's an area of education that needs to happen, such as proper beef cooking techniques, or maybe clarifying uh, how beef is being raised by beef farmers and ranchers. So Adam, with Nebraska being the beef stage, what did this year's survey uh, results show about Nebraska beef consumers? Well, there's always a lot of great information from the surveys, but a few of the key findings that we uh, came out with, uh, and maybe not surprising, but Nebraska consumers have a high consumption rate of beef, 81% saying that they eat beef on a weekly basis, 93% reporting that they eat beef at least monthly, and that is up from 73% of the national average that say they eat beef weekly. Uh, Another finding that Nebraskans are generally positive about beef as a food and about beef production. Now, obviously, having cattle as a major industry within the state probably plays a factor into those responses. And then when we ask about what goes into making their meal decisions, taste was their number one factor when uh, things like safety were being pushed down lower on the list. Now, that might be due to their positive perception of the beef industry as in general and their trust in those who are raising and processing beef products. And then one last uh, interesting result from the survey was that 43% of Nebraskans say that they would eat more beef if they had more meal preparation ideas, recipes, and guidance on cooking with beef. So, of course, for us, that's extremely valuable as we kind of develop more messaging for our website and our social media platforms to help uh, consumers in the future. So, Adam, I do want to ask, there were a couple of numbers that went up significantly. Do you think that had anything to do with people eating more at home during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we thought about that too. And uh, we even asked, you know, are you cooking more meals at home? Certainly that number has gone up uh, due to the pandemic. And I think people are, are really getting exhausted. They've they've kind of gone through the, the recipes they're used to making and they want uh, new and more exciting ways to prepare beef. So that's certainly something that we're going to focus on through the Nebraska Beef Council, making sure we uh, get that information into consumers' hands and give them uh, ideas and a reason to want to try more beef meals. All right. Not a bitterly 
bitterly cold day like today, it's probably a good idea to maybe try something new. That again is Adam Wagner joining us about the Nebraska Consumer Survey. He's the Director of Marketing with the Nebraska Beef Council. And today we're broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen is joining us. And, well, we talked about it earlier, the Husker men getting their first Big Ten win since uh, 2020. Since before the pandemic. (laughs) Put in that That context, yeah. I haven't seen anybody describe it that way, but once you put it that way, that's brutal. Yeah, an 11-point second-half lead almost wasn't enough, but Mm. Teddy Allen scored with 12 seconds left, lifting Nebraska to a much-needed one point went over Penn State, ending the Huskers' string of 25 Big Ten losses that stretched back more than a year. The Huskers made a defensive stand to come up with a victory, and head coach Fred Hoiberg was glad they found a way. You know, obviously we didn't do it offensively those last eight minutes, but I thought our defense was about as good as it's been. So we had stretches, you know, offensively for about 32 minutes, phenomenal. And then those that defense, they're late. Uh, you know, won the game for us. You know, give them credit for the struggles they've had. They've continued to show up and play. It just hasn't gone their way. Now, a lot of it being self-inflicted wounds, like on Friday night against sixth-ranked Illinois. Uh, Allen led the way with 14 points. Nebraska looks to keep it rolling tomorrow at Maryland. Now, their defense has been playing pretty solid here in the last couple of games, too. It's stepped up. Not bad. Getting Walker at the post, uh, that helps. He's kind of a brawler and an enforcer inside. They... It's a long time of coming, <laughs> and it almost didn't happen. Uh, the news was not as good for the Husker women. They were blown out at home by ninth-ranked Maryland, 95-73. to Huskers have hit a speed bump in their season. They are 9-9 and overall, 7-8 and in the Big Ten after they were surprising some people early on. Husker volleyball team, they are 6-0 and on the year. Kind of a slow start on Saturday. Eventually got things turned around and won the last three sets to take a 3-1 to against Rutgers. Big weekend coming up for the Huskers as they will be taking on Minnesota. And the 13th-ranked UNK women's basketball team shot a blistering 55% from the field, scored a season-high 85 points as they routed Rogers State on Saturday afternoon in Claremore. Lovers are 16-2. and They will host fellow conference leaders Central Missouri in a huge game on Thursday night at 5.30, of course, we'll have that game over on the river and 106.9 in Kearney. Sub-district basketball scheduled to start tonight in some locations. Some sub-districts are happening. Others aren't. I can tell you at this point, Lexington's game's at Hastings. It's mm-hmm. on. The Minute Maids will play at 5.30. We'll have the game over on Kimmy Country. Holdridge is scheduled to play at 7 against McCook. You can hear that one in the Phelps County area on KUVR. I will say if you are traveling, the interstate, at least from Kearney to here or vice versa, uh, is pretty good. So if you are thinking about going to the ball games, and I, I can't speak for all the highways, but uh, for the most part, they seem to be uh, in uh, pretty good shape. Dry and cold. That's the issue, yeah. Not as icy knock on wood no. for a lot of spots, which is good. So, uh, But that's good that we're having uh, sub-districts, and some will continue tomorrow as well. They will. All right, thank you very much. First through the 27th is Grain Bin Safety Week and Trauma Outreach Coordinator at CHI Health Good Samaritan Hospital in Kearney, Tracy Delifs, give tips on grain bin safety. Much like quicksand, flowing grain can bury a worker within seconds. Keep all children out of the grain bins and wagons. Try to have at least three people involved when you're working in the grain bin and enter with ropes and safety harnesses. 
In case of an accident, it will take two people to lift you out using this equipment. Don't count on someone outside of the bin being able to hear you when you shout. Equipment can be extremely noisy and block out any of your calls for help. If you do become trapped in the bin with flowing grain, yet you're able to still walk around, stay near the outside wall and try to keep walking until it stops. If you are covered by the flowing grain, cup your hands over your mouth and take short breaths until help arrives. Frigid weather that has sent temperatures plunging across middle America also has power and gas utilities urging customers to dial down the thermostat. Utility companies serving Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, and Missouri issued the police Sunday and Monday for customers to conserve power as temperatures dropped to nearly 30 below in parts of western and northern Nebraska early Monday, sending the wind chill to as low as nearly 50 below in some places. Omaha Public Power District, Nebraska Public Power District, Evergy and Kansas City, Missouri and Summit Natural Gas serving parts of Missouri were among some of the utilities that issued releases Sunday begging customers conserve energy through Wednesday as the bitter cold was expected to linger for days. A number of Nebraska school districts are planning to expand summer school sessions and offer other additional help to students who fell behind because of the disruptions caused by the coronavirus pandemic. The Omaha World Herald reports that Nebraska's largest school district said that between a quarter and one-third of high school students attending classes remotely failed two or more classes last semester. That failure rate is significantly higher than it was before the pandemic. The need for additional help is especially critical for high school juniors and seniors who have fallen behind on coursework that could delay graduation. The month of February is Nebraska's 4-H month, and State 4-H Program Administrator Kathleen Glodel explains what 4-H is and its goal for younger generations. One of our major goals in 4-H is to raise the next group of young adults and leaders who will make Nebraska thrive. We're all about empowering young people to reach their fullest potential, and that's through a variety of different learning experiences. But at the end of the day, we want young kids to be successful at whatever their passion is so that they can go on to serve those Nebraska communities in the way that works best. Lodal says this is also a great time to sign up for 4-H and find what projects you may be interested in. Projects include anywhere from photography, robotics, nutrition, clothing design, livestock, etc. To learn more about 4-H, go online to 4h.unl.edu or contact your local extension office. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. The Nebraska Sheep and Goat Producers held a lambing and kidding school Saturday, February 6th in Baird. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. The producers and visitors toured a sheep farm and learned effective lambing procedures in what was working for other producers. Among the many speakers was Brittany Fulton of Diamond S. Stock Farms. She says the sheep business is a family one. We've been in the sheep business ever since I've been around. Um, my dad has been in the sheep business for his entire life as well. And through the years, we've kind of had a different operation. Um, we started with some targi ewes, and we just really weren't liking how it was going. Um, they didn't have great maternal instincts. And uh, so a few years back, we decided that uh, we wanted to go a different direction. And we did a lot of research and did a lot of reading, talked to a lot of experts, and decided that polypay ewes were kind of what we wanted to do. Um, and so we bought ewe lambs from a producer down in eastern Nebraska. Polypay sheep are a relatively young breed from 1968. They were bred to be productive and profitable. 
Fulton says they hadn't planned on doing accelerated lambing, but the producer they purchased the ewes from made it sound like a good idea. So right now we're actually on our second crop with this um, with this flock, and we're it's going great. Um, we're really impressed with these ewes. They have great maternal instinct, and the genetics are just there for us, and it's it's really been a good thing. Scott Chaneman, Fulton's father and also part of the Diamond Desk Stock Farms, explains more on the accelerated lambing. We try to um, raise three lamb crops in two years. So with that uh, program, uh, synchronization of our ewes and ewe lambs is a pretty important part of that. In order to get their ewes into an accelerated lambing program, Shaneman says they use a controlled internal drug release, or cedar, which is inserted into the ewe. It releases progesterone uh, into the ewe to uh, delay estrus cycle. And we, our protocol on our farm is to uh, use cedars and then follow up with a PG600 shot, uh, which promotes estrus. So we try to put all the ewes into a group using uh, into, into an estrus cycle group by using the cedars. Uh, we run around 12 days and then pull the cedars from the ewe lambs or the ewes and then uh, inject them with three uh, cc's of PG600 which will then bring them into estrus within 36 hours. Shaneman says this narrows their lambing window to as tight as they can get it. He explains how this is helpful since the family also works outside of the farm. Our time's pretty precious and important to us, and that time management by by using cedars is is an incredible tool uh, to try to uh, narrow up our lambing window. We we try to lamb. We have 120 right now. We uh, use we usually run somewhere between 120 and 140. We try to lamb those ewes out in less than 30 days. Um, it kind of looks like we're going to be on target to be well under 30 days with uh, this lambing that we're in the process of doing right now. Polypay sheep are noted for being a highly prolific maternal dual-purpose breed. Fulton says not all sheep breeds would be a good fit for the program. So we are synchronizing our ewes, so, and we can be done lambing within uh, less than 30 days. We're trying to narrow that window up as we continue using this program. Also with the breed, they are able to have multiple lambings through the year. So that's what's really great about that, that breed is that we're able to do this accelerated lambing because not all breeds are able to do that. Cedars that are not used only for sheep, but cattle and goats. Each cedar is different depending on the breed, and Shaneman discusses learning to use cedars with the ewes. Well, uh, it's a learning curve uh, to some degree. We had to uh, uh, do a little research, and, and not only on uh, availability, where you get them, costs, uh, how, do you, how you do it, how you uh, uh, make the the pro make this uh, process work into your operation. Uh, so it's been a, it's, it has been a lear learning curve. Uh, we haven't been doing it a long time. Uh, we've only been doing it for a little more than, uh, or this is our second lambing using cedars. So we try to lamb every eight months. And uh, that's the program we're on right now is an eight month lambing window. And uh, to, uh, to do that, we've got to be able to use these cedars and uh, to eliminate time, labor, and effort. So 
there is a little bit of a learning curve, but uh, there's a lot of good people out there that can help you with that. While the farm is in its second year of accelerated lambing, Fulton says one of the challenges the family faced was just learning the new program. It took us a lot of time to figure out that what we wanted to do. So that was our biggest challenge, was just figuring out what our actual plan is going to be and where we wanted to go with it. Um, we're still learning, and so I think that's just a challenge in itself, is trying to figure out what's going to work best for us and, and how we're going to continue to be successful with it. Using the cedars allows the farm to have two lambing crops instead of just one. Bolton says they were lambing in the first part of the month, and the next crop is expected in November. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. With the business report for Monday, I'm Bob Rogan. It's the third Monday in February, which means it's President's Day. U.S. financial markets are closed for the President's Day holiday. The makers of COVID-19 vaccines are figuring out how to tweak their recipes against worrisome virus mutations, and regulators are looking to flu as a blueprint if and when the shots need an update. It's not really something you can sort of flip a switch and do overnight, cautioned Richard Webby, who directs a World Health Organization flu center from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Viruses mutate constantly, and it takes just the right combination of particular mutations to escape vaccination. But studies are raising concern that first-generation COVID-19 vaccines don't work as well against a mutant that first emerged in South Africa as they do against other versions circulating around the world. Nebraska business confidence was positive in January, according to the latest monthly survey from the Bureau of Business Research at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Business Confidence Index Nebraska had a value of 105.9, which is above the neutral level of 100. Business confidence turned positive in Nebraska during January, said Eric Thompson, an economist who serves as bureau director. What remains to be seen is whether January reflects a permanent improvement or simply New Year's optimism. Expectations are the key to business confidence, the recent conditions sub-index, which reflects the change in sales and employment during recent months, was below the neutral level at a value of 92.6. The COVID-19 pandemic continued to be the primary challenge faced by Nebraska businesses, said Thompson. 35% of business respondents mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic as their top business concern. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. crisis. It's a new way to stay fit and stay away from other people. Chicago startup Bold has turned shipping containers into gym pods. The 320 square foot pods are equipped with weights, spin bikes and rowing machines, along with air filtration units and UV lights for disinfecting. They also have a TV monitor so instructors can train clients virtually. Bold CEO Jake Goldstein explains. People can work out with the trainer without needing to consume the same physical space. Goldstein expects the pods to remain popular even when the pandemic is over 
over and people can return to normal gyms. People got accustomed to having their own private space to work out of. Uh, that's what we emulated and recreated here in the most cost efficient way that frankly the fitness industry just can't beat. Bold has raised $400,000 in venture capital funding and for now has three mini gyms in Chicago's Fulton Market neighborhood. In Chicago, Grady Trimble, Fox News. West commodities tackling the tough subject of just how China plays into U.S. demand for our raw commodities. We're talking more about it on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. And tomorrow, AgWest Commodities will be hosting a webinar from 1230 to 2. It's just 90 minutes, but it's filled with three amazing speakers that have boots on the ground, first-hand knowledge of what's going on in China. To learn more about this event, we go now to President of AgWest Commodities, Paul Mooseman. And Paul, as you were saying, you know, you've got three guys, first-hand knowledge is going to be a lot. It's only 90 minutes. You have to catch it live on this one, but that 90 minutes, you're going to cover a lot of ground. That's right. We've got three individuals that have boots on the ground, that have knowledge of what China's buying, when they're buying it, is, is it big? Is it small? Is it seasonal? Is it here to last? It's a discussion. We're not going to kill people with PowerPoint. We're going to ask some hard questions. We're going to ask some questions that we think is relevant. And between myself and Justin Trump, key on the panel, we're going to try to bring that back to the producer and, and what impact it makes and what choices or changes we need to make individually to the marketing plans that we have going forward in 2021. It's producer-driven. It's by producer demand. And most of the questions that I have are from actual producers. We're going to ask them. One thing I think is important is the fact that we saw the the historic phase one trade deal, which really put China's feet to the fire, you know, said you got you needed to buy billions worth of U.S. ag commodities. Is that going to be in this discussion? It really is. And we're going to discuss some of those hard things because we don't know where they're at right now. If you look at the stats, we're about 55 percent completed of the phase one agreement that was signed about a year ago. So is there intentions to fill the other 45% or is this where we're at? I don't know the answers to that, Clay, and I'm, I'm not sure they do, but we're going to ask and get some expectations for exports going forward. So that's the name of the game. When you talk about the export customer, number one in the world now being China, I think it's time we listen to what China's saying and what they want and how do we appease that appetite. So uh, good stuff here. It excites me to have a new biggest corn purchaser in the world. Why shouldn't America be on the front lines to, to partake in some of that? For folks that, okay, we've given them the meat of the subject, but now they need the particulars, what do they need to do to make sure that they're in, in attendance to this webinar? Pretty simple and straightforward. Just go to our website at goagwest.com. Get on there, get registered. You'll, they'll get a unique ID. And they'll log on at February 16th, 1230, and they can join us for our live discussion at that point. Again, just goagwest.com. Super simple and easy to get on there. And if you have any questions, you can always call down to any of their offices, and those folks will be happy to help you get you set up as well. Paul, I know you're a busy man, and you're moving on to the next thing. We've covered a ton of important information about webinar number three, which could be one of the most critical that you've done to date, just because you're looking at just how aggressive a customer China has been here recently and what could happen in the future with that as well but want to make sure anything we've overlooked final or closing thoughts for us no i just invite all your producers that are listening today there's lots of questions get on there you'll have the ability to ask some we've got some that we're going to share from producers as well but let's see if we can use this information to our advantage so many times you hear information out of china that is negative i want to find out how we benefit from this this new trade war how we benefit from this new corn appetite let's get on there and try to be better 
That again, Paul Mooseman, president of AgWise Commodities, joining us and discussing their third webinar, and this one in particular discussing China and their demand for U.S. commodities, what it means for U.S. producers. Unfortunately, this is a one-time event. They can't record and resend it back out, so you need to be in person in attendance live to catch it again tomorrow, 1230 to 2. So you can register today at GoAgWest.com. Again, the website, GoAgWest.com. They hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to the Rural Radio Network. afternoon. The annual University of Nebraska-Lincoln High Plains Ag Lab Research Update and Advisory Board meeting is going virtual for 2021. It will begin at 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on Tuesday, February 16th on the Zoom webinar platform. Cody Creech, coordinator for the event and Nebraska Extension Dryland Cropping Specialist, tells us more. Yeah, so every spring we do a meeting that kind of summarizes uh, the results from the previous year's research uh, conducted at the High Plains Ag Lab. Each year at the High Plains Ag Lab, we, we probably conduct over 40, 50 studies uh, each year to look at different things to just improve crop production and dryland cropping systems out here in the panhandle. Crete says they will be looking at a few things on wheat the extension educators have been working on. Bijesh, our soil fertility specialist, will be talking about uh, nitrogen management for for protein in the wheat. Uh, we'll have Jeff Bradshaw going to uh, discuss some of the, the latest research that we've conducted on wheat stem sawfly. Uh, and then uh, Amanda Easterly will touch on some of the things we're doing for variety testing with uh, the, the wheat program as well. Uh, we'll also have a special uh, speaker. Uh, it'll be Catherine Frills, who is the new wheat breeder for the the University of Nebraska. Uh, she starts uh, her first day on the job is actually March first, so she's not even uh, officially employed yet. But she's uh, been getting her feet wet uh, a little bit, and we look forward to uh, having her introduce herself to uh, the producers out here. Of course, wheat isn't the only thing growing at the High Plains Ag Lab, as Creech explains. Yeah, so uh, we've just completed. A number of projects looking at uh, grain sorghum production here in the Panhandle and, and some of the challenges associated with that. And then uh, we'll have our uh, cow-calf specialist, uh, Carla, will uh, uh, present on some of her uh, supplement research, and Mitch Stevenson will discuss some of his research in uh, growing annual forages like uh, oats and in, in drying cropping systems. And then uh, lastly, Jessica Groskoff will will touch on the ag econ side of things and, and uh, marketing. So a really a well-rounded program, a lot of interesting topics that shouldn't take too long. Again, the meeting will be at 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on Tuesday, February 16th. Anyone who wants to participate in the meeting should call the High Plains Ag Lab at 308-254-3918 to obtain a link where they can join. Participants will need an internet connection and web browser on their home computer or else a mobile device connected to a network or internet and the Zoom application installed. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. All right, very good. Thank you very much, Chabella. That'll wrap up midday here on this Monday. As always, you can find uh, the entire midday podcast sponsored by Deveni Motors. That is available 
at krvn.com. Now, if you're just joining us, uh, if you're just catching up with what's going on today, uh, rolling blackouts are planned across pretty much our entire listing area, or at least here in Nebraska, at some point during the day due to extreme cold. Again, rolling blackouts are taking place as energy suppliers work to keep the Midwest power grid stable as demand for power soars due to an unprecedented energy demand. During record low temperatures, the Southwest Power Pool, the regional reliability coordinator, has notified utilities within its regional footprint that energy curtailments are required. We actually will hear here in a little bit from Dawson Public Power uh, about what they are doing. Our own Bob Brogan talked with Cole Brodeen about their blackouts that will take place across the state. So just be aware if you are seeing blackouts or power outages uh, as of late, that is probably why. I know certain areas of the state will be basically taking turns. Certain areas will see anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes, and they could last longer as the day goes along. So just be mindful of that. Check on your neighbor as well, uh, especially if they are if you are encountering any kind of power outages, 30 to 60 minutes in these type of cold temperatures that we're seeing could be very, very dangerous. So again, check on your neighbor to make sure everything is okay. For more information on those blackouts, by the way, go to krvn.com.